Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, if you've been listening to the show and like what you hear, be sure to leave me a review over on Apple Podcast or iTunes. I love hearing from you guys, and I also love reading the recent reviews. A most recent review comes from Chinny Loves. They say, relevant, five stars. I found this podcast as I began my PC application. I wanted to get real and relevant perspective of volunteers, and most especially volunteers of color. Misha's interview was awesome. She's referring to last week's interview. And I enjoy how... My Peace Corps story makes the Peace Corps seem normal by highlighting personal experiences. I would encourage Tyler to consider ways to make interviews more poignant to the interviewee, i.e. responding to and building off the interview's responses versus skipping along to the next question. I completely hear you, and I've been working on that. And I think listeners find stories interesting and wouldn't mind if podcasts became longer as a result. Otherwise, great work, and I'm looking forward to more episodes. Chinny Loves, thank you for the five stars. Thank you for the uh, criticism and critiques and advice and longer podcast. I'd, I'd be into it. Thank you, and if you have a review, please be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. On this week's episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast, I talk with Evan Delahanty, who started Peaceful Fruits after finishing up his service in Suriname. Peaceful Fruits sells, well, like kind of fruit roll-ups, but way better. And we're giving away uh, two packs of, uh, of, the, of these things, two sort of like bundles. And if you want to enter into that, head on over to Instagram. You'll see the details in one of the most recent posts, but we're only going to be running this giveaway for a week. But if you miss that giveaway, Peaceful Fruits is also giving you guys, the listeners of the My Peace Core Story podcast, a 10% discount for their snacks. And they're only giving this for a month. So if you're listening to this right now on the first day that this podcast comes out, you have a month to use the promo code PEACEFULPODCAST, all one word, for a 10% discount on their amazing fruit snacks. Well, without further ado, here is Evan Delahanty and his Peace Corps story. This is this is this is this is my my peace corps peace corps my peace corps my peace corps story story story. My name is Evan Delahanty, and this is my peace corps story. Hey, Evan, how are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for having me today. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, and excited to talk to you because I I've known about your company for a while, but I've been. I guess a little hesitant to to reach out because you know I always sort of feel I don't know is like am I big enough is my podcast big enough you know are they going to give me the time of day because as I started reaching out to people and just searching the hashtag for Peace Corps on Instagram 
your company was one of the first ones that I, I found and I saw. And I was like, oh, this seems really cool. And then being you know a millennial, the next thing I did was, okay, let's Google this guy, seeing all these YouTube <laughs> videos and just all the work that you were doing. And I was like, okay, I have to eventually talk to Evan. He's doing some really cool stuff. So I'm really excited that this has finally happened. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that a lot. It's funny because, uh, you know, we, we, we're still a tiny, tiny company, but, you know, I'm, we're big enough that I have a couple of, of people, people on the team now. And so uh, I think it was one of my team members, I think it was Margo that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Margo or Kaylee, I think it was Margo that connected us. And, uh, you know, she emailed me because we, we do get a lot of requests for podcasts and things like that. And, you know, she was like, hey, do you want to talk to this guy? And, like, by now she knows what my questions are, which are like, you know, what is it? What's the audience? How big? And uh, she was, you know, she said, here's, here's what it is. You know, Peace Corps, volunteer, you know, went through some of the stats. And my reply was just, I always have time for a Peace Corps volunteer. Awesome. Well, that's that's how exactly how I feel too, uh, in doing these interviews and just taking the time to listen to people's stories. So, for the listeners who don't know you and haven't been uh, stalking you on the internet like like I have <laughs> over the past few days, uh, let everybody know a little bit about Evan, where you served in the Peace Corps, and what you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I am I'm from Ohio here in the U.S. and. Uh, went from, you know, the, the, the north coast of America to the northeast coast of South America. So I was a Peace Corps volunteer from 2011 to 2013 in Suriname, little country there just next to Brazil, French Guiana, and British Guyana. They're on the, on the wild coast of South America. So I was a community economic development volunteer um, in, the, uh, in the interior of the country, living in the rainforests and uh, helping a tribe of former slaves um, improve their standard of living. So it was a really awesome post and a great time. Awesome. And as a said volunteer myself, I know that your work duties can be many and varied. What were you actually doing? What were some of your big projects as a said volunteer? Yeah, it was very open-ended um, at, at the posting, which was, was good for me. Um, you know, I, I came in as a experienced volunteer, if you will, where I was 26 when I came in. So I had a little bit of work experience under my belt. And I also had the benefit of, for better or for worse, being both the first volunteer in my village and also the last, um, because that was when the, the fiscal cliff, the budget issues were coming in strong. And Suriname was one of the posts that was closed during that time. And so, you know, neither neither myself nor, nor anyone in the village really knew, you know, what a volunteer was supposed to be. There were no preconceptions, but we knew that we had, that whatever we were going to do, we had to do it because it was that, that was, this was our shot. Um, and so we were able to get some really cool stuff done. So I, I did a lot of work in the school, working with uh, the sixth graders, which is the highest grade, you know, that is there in the, in the village. And anyone past that has to move to the city, which is a very tough transition. So I did a lot of, entrepreneurship, business, you know, using that to teach life skills, health, all of those types of things to really uh, create the right mindset um, for, the, for the young people. And then I also worked very closely with the, the Council of Elders and, and the, the, the movers and shakers of the village uh, on, on entrepreneurship and really on, on just economic empowerment broadly 
where we were able to do some very cool projects introducing solar energy into the village, not just as a subsidized energy, but as a business opportunity. Um, and then also some cool stuff with infrastructure projects to make access to the village a lot easier, which of course makes all other projects easier. Because in my village, it's important to note that it's canoe access only. Uh, it was literally two hours in a, you know, in a boat, in a motorized canoe to get to my, to my village, you know, or helicopter if you happen to have one, of course. <laughs> um, but barring that, it was, you know, it made any other project, solar energy, clean water, you know, computers, schools, you name it, incredibly more difficult if the, you know, first or last sometimes step of the project was climbing a mud bank 20 feet uphill in the middle of a rainstorm. And so uh, one of our big initial projects was to put landings, cement landing on the, into the village so that all other commerce, all other development, all other activities got cheaper, more efficient, and easier in a way that was sustainable and, and powered by the village instead of by outsiders. Wow. So you, I mean, you were out there in the Amazon rainforest. I mean, you were in sort of a, a community that maybe hadn't had much exposure and they get dropped off with this, this one and only volunteer. You're the first, you're the last. Uh, how did they react to you initially? So I, I got very lucky. I can't, you know, people ask me about Peace Corps um, and I always stress, I always, you know, I always say great things, but I always stress, like, I got lucky. And I think a lot of people have great experience, so I, I'm not alone in, in feeling that I was lucky, but, I mean, every positive stereotype I, I, I was lucky enough to get. Um, as, as, as you said, yeah, I was smack dab in the middle of the virgin rainforest uh, in, in a country that's a former Dutch colony. And that means that you know, as in many places, while they have somewhat stereotyped or, you know, or to some degrees negative or just, just stereotyped views of, of white people um, and of outsiders, there is, a, they, they definitely differentiate between Americans and, and others, in particular, you know, Americans versus Dutch. Um, and so Americans are very well-liked and respected there. Um, I, I think we have a better reputation in Suriname than we do in other parts of the world. Uh, at least, you know, that's some of those stereotypes. Um, and so they were, they were ready to be welcoming. And on that, that river where I was a Peace Corps volunteer, there had been volunteers up and down the river for the last 20 years. And so it was, you know, as, as all of us know, it was something of a status symbol to have a volunteer, both just for their presence and then, of course, for the, the, the help that they could bring. Um, and so the, my village was known as one of the... Um, it was one of the biggest villages. It was one of the rougher villages because of that, um, you know, in, 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 in the eyes of, of HQ anyway. But, uh, you know, it was one of the, it was a big city in, uh, in the interior, about 2,000 people, lots of scary stuff going on. And so they had been on the waiting list trying to get a volunteer for six years. And so when finally, you know, an educated, you know, empathetic um, American shows up, they were ready to. They were. They were ready to work. They were ready to to welcome me in. Um, and so I, I got you know incredibly lucky. Where some of the other villages, you know, they kind of threw together a hut and were like, "Here you go, you know, whatever. We've seen this before." You know, my my folks were ready. They were motivated, and they were excited to 
you know, make me feel part of the community, but then also to say like, Hey, let's get, let's get to work and get some fun stuff done. So I got, I got incredibly lucky. It definitely sounds like you did. It always helps when you uh, come into a receptive community because uh, the community is what, what makes it, makes or breaks it. So it seems like you definitely, you're right in, in saying that you lucked out there. Yeah, and I, I think that is critical too where so much of that does depend on the community, but of course so much of that is, is, is your approach to it too. And I really, you know, Peace Corps encouraged this and I, I really embraced it where you know, I, I, I very, the first you know, three months that I was there, I full on, you know, purely just was cultural, just was, um, you know, focused on improving my language skills, getting, getting comfortable with the culture. You know, I, I was basically bothering, you know, some of my friends or, you know, people I wanted to be friends with uh, in the village to take me with them into the jungle every day. Uh, one, because that just seemed so cool. Like, oh my gosh, it's the Amazon. Like, let's get out there. Uh, and two, because I knew that was the only way to become part of the, the, the community was if, you know, they, they, they knew that I, that I could, could, could hang with the guys. Right. And, or, or with the women too. I, uh, I, I did both. I did, I went, you know, into the, in, I went, uh, you know, on the, the trucks, the treks to, um, you know, go fishing or, 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 you know, haul wood or whatever else with the men. And I went, you know, to, to harvest rice and other things with the women. And I'll tell you, the women work harder, unsurprisingly, but really engaging in, in you know, the, the work and the culture, both, you know, both the religious side and the, the day-to-day side was so critical to kind of building that, that relationship with the, with the village, but, but they were ready to welcome me in. So I can't, I, I can't, can't take too much credit. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about, you know, going into the rainforest and being a, a lover of nature myself and, and animals. That's kind of what I studied at an undergrad. Uh, just to add my own curiosity, like, what did you see? Like, what cool, like, Amazon rainforest things were you living amongst uh, while you were out there serving as a volunteer? No, it was so cool, let's be honest. Uh, so, I mean, one is just, you know, barring, like, some of the cultural and religious stuff. But, yeah, just, like, you're walking. And, you know, you, you, you can, you're kind of, you can be walking with someone and you realize that, you know, not only are you the first, you know, white person or the first outsider to ever step foot on that piece of ground, you're probably just the first person in some cases, right? You know, if, if, if you go on a, on a moderately intense hike, the odds that you're somewhere that no one has ever walked on that exact spot is pretty high. And, and that, that's just, you know, so cool to feel that that vibrancy and that, that vitality of, you know, being out in nature, really out in, you know, there's nothing between you and, and, and what that is. And so just that feeling was, was incredibly awe-inspiring every day. But it was really cool as well to be able to, um, you know, come home and find a, uh, a boa constrictor, you know, a, a python, a boa, yeah, a boa constrictor, uh, you know, curled up and, and sleeping um, in the corner of my house, right? Cause that they, we were right there. We, you know, there were, uh, Jaguar sightings were not, you know, super common, but they weren't unknown either. Uh, you know, some very, very large tarantulas. One of my personal favorites was actually the sloth. Uh, one of my, my friends, uh, you know, they, her, her, uh, someone in her village had, had, they, they do eat sloths there. And so they killed the parents, but then they adopted the baby sloth. So she had a baby sloth for a pet for a year and a half, which is just about the cutest thing you can possibly imagine. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was pretty cool to see to to be out there interacting with with the the animals. You know, I'm proud to say that I ate a lot more piranha than ate me, <laughs> but yeah, we, we were we were out there in it, which was great. And man, I can I'm just trying to imagine it, and I'm. I'm a, I'm a little jealous. Uh, we had some. Uh, I was in you know, West Africa. We had some cool animals, but yeah. uh, no sloths. Uh, I've never seen a sloth in the wild. So now it's. I'm adding that to uh, to my bucket list. You sh- you really should. I mean, they are a little bit freaky. Um, I mean, because they just kind of look like Ewoks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and they just move so. You know, you know, like when you watch a cool dance music video. And there's the strobe lights and the like, the popping and locking. And you're just like, how do people walk? Like, how do people move like that? A sloth is like that, but in the opposite direction, right? They just <laughs> move too slowly. How is it working? So it's it's a cool, it's a really cool animal, and it's you know beautiful and and uh, yeah, it was, it was it was cool to see. We got this. Uh, but on the other hand, it was also very sad, you know, where do see sloths and monkeys when you know they they eat what they can get in that part of the world mm-hmm. and uh you know a cooked monkey is not a, a beautiful empowering sight to see let's let's just say that no but uh they you know they have to survive and they, they've been that's it's, right it's, it's also kind of you know their their culture and their tradition which you you alluded to as well you know as another beautiful aspect of your experience uh what 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 is the religion or i guess a sense of the the culture there because i i can find suriname on a map uh but other than that i don't really know much about the the country you served in yeah well better than me before i went um you know they they invited me to go to suriname and i was like sir where um which is shame on me but um so suriname is actually a, a very interesting country um because it it's a Let's see. What's what's the old the old, old joke? So, uh, it's a. I lived in an African village because I, these were escaped slaves brought over from West Africa. So I was living in an African village that happened to be in a South American country where Suriname is geographically located. That actually thinks it's in the Caribbean because they they act and economically engage with and just think like Caribbeans. Um, so it's a very weird place you know, architecturally, culturally, everything else, because it really is, you walk into my village and you, and if you were, if you were a Peace Corps volunteer in Ghana and you came and visited a Peace Corps volunteer in Suriname, you would feel right at home because, you know, at least if you visited one of those tribes, Mm -hmm. um, the villages are laid out the same way. Um, and so, you know, I, I, so there are many different aspects of the culture of, of Suriname, but the one that I, I know best is you know the city of course the only one city which is heavily influenced by their their dutch roots as a former dutch colony but then i was there in the interior with what are known as the the saramacan maroons so you know maroons are escaped slaves or you know people brought over in indentured servitude from africa and then the you know kind of the diaspora across the caribbean and south america and so they practice primar- some christianity you know people are converting in some cases, but most of them practice a traditional, you know, Winti style, Voodoo style um, religion that's rooted very much in Africa and the Caribbean. Um, and what's 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 incredibly interesting to, to understand about the culture is the the lens 
thinking about the escape from slavery because that that's if you if you if you just try to understand the culture it's very confusing but if you think about it through the lens of the escape from slavery everything starts to make sense because their religion which they take incredibly seriously you know they want the, an important part of their their religion is to give food to give drink uh, to the ancestors, and when they when they do that, when they you know pour out a cup of alcohol or 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 Coca Cola or whatever it might be to an ancestor, they they talk to the ancestor as they do it, and it's partially prayer, but it's partially just saying hi, you know, how's it going? Here's what's going on in my life, you know, thanks so much for looking over. It's like they're talking to them, like you know, like you might talk to your to your to your mom if you called her on the phone, and so it's it's incredibly real to them, but at the same time. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll pour out a, a, a Coke or, a, you know, an off-brand Coke, more, more likely, right? They'll, <laughs> um, they'll use the, their holy sacred cup will be the, the bottom of a, of a rusted-out soda can because it's what they had or it's what they have. And at any moment, you know, the slave masters could come over the horizon and you're going to have to throw it over your shoulder and run for it. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the object is. It doesn't matter what the, you know, they, they don't build... They, they don't. They don't build ornate churches or or mansions or anything like that. They they sanctify the moment um, through their 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 passion and their belief. And that that was just incredibly moving to see, you know, how, how much their belief and their 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 way of life sanctifies their you know their beliefs rather than you know fancy things or anything else like that. Like you have to be careful there. You see a piece of trash on the ground, like you see a bottle half buried you know, in the middle of a path, don't kick it. It could be, it could be someone's ancestor spirit and that's just where it lives. And it's not litter at all. It's, it's holy. And everybody else knows except you, cause you know, you're wandering through, but, uh, but that it's, it's an incredibly interesting aspect of the culture that evolved because of their deep faith, but also their react, their, you know, dress to reality of the slave masters could be coming at any moment. Well, I mean, that's just so interesting. And thank you for sharing that about their, you know, their culture that was, born out of necessity in this giant melting pot of, you know, this West African village transported into South America with these ties to the Caribbean. And I've got a, you, you painted a, an excellent picture for us. So, so thank you for that. My pleasure. And continuing on uh, to your Peace Corps story, uh, one of the things I always like to ask are just one of the, your favorite memories that you had as a Peace Corps volunteer. Uh, so what, were some of your favorite memories or, you know, one or two that you have a, a story connected to them? So I, I, I think there's a, a, a couple of things. I don't remember what I wrote on the paper, but um, I think we, we, we corresponded briefly and I, and I can't remember which story I told you because uh, there are too many to, you know, to focus in on in a given moment. But um, one, one of the moments that I'll, that I'll highlight is, was it was about probably about four or five months in, you know, a little what that started to do some work, but was still, you know, have been, been very focused on, on, on just cultural integration. And, uh, one, one of the, the most holy and secretive parts of the culture for the Saramac and Maroons is their burial rituals. And just if you'll permit me a quick aside, it's literally such a big secret that they think the CIA is trying to find it out. Um, like at one point, you know, a guy asked me, uh, you know, they, you know, we all know how it is. We're all volunteers here. Like, 
You know, mm-hmm. he's like, ah, oh, you probably just work for the CIA. And I was like, well, obviously I don't. But even if I did, what the heck do you think the CIA would care about your little speck <laughs> of dust in the middle of nowhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he had a very intelligent, well-thought-out answer from his perspective, which was, you want our water because we know sooner or later that fresh water will go away. And I was like, oh, that's actually a very, you know, forward-thinking idea there, buddy. Like, that's a good thought. And then two, you want our gold. And also very true, Suriname is the 17th richest country in the world by natural resources under the ground, which, you know, all right, you're doing your math there, buddy. And then number three, you you'd want to know our funeral rituals <laughs> because it's such an incredibly powerful secret among them that they assume everybody else must be trying to find it out. Um, and so, yeah, probably about four or five months in, there was a, you know, relatively important village elder who died and... I was, you know, in, in part of the, the celebration in the village because they have a true celebration of life there, not a, not a, not a funeral so much. Um, and then there's, a, you know, a time where, all, where the men of the family and, and, you know, sort of the important folks of the village, which I qualified as, as, a, as a Peace Corps volunteer, I was included in those things generally, you know, what, would go into the rainforest and, and bury the dead. Um, and that, and you're not allowed to wear sunglasses. That event. That's 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 how holy it is. You're not allowed to wear shoes. You're not allowed to wear non-traditional clothing. You know, cameras are of course forbidden. Um, and so it's they take it very very seriously. And so I was sort of hanging back. You know, not sure if I was you know supposed to go. And some of the people were looking at me like, hey, does that guy think he's gonna go? You know, it wasn't clear. And you know, one of the elders just came up to me and said. Evan, why are you standing at the back? Like, you, you know, you're a young guy. You should be, you know, running to the front with the other young guys. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't want to intrude. Is, is, you know, is this okay? And he's like, aren't you my neighbor? Don't you live here? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. What, what are you, you know, what, what are you waiting for? And just to, to be so welcomed into the community, um, you know, j- just for the sake of being there, that was, that was incredibly powerful and moving for me to, you know, I hadn't done anything for them at that point. Right. I hadn't, I had literally done nothing except show up and listen and keep showing up right to, to whatever the event was, whether it was cultural or, Hey, you, you know, like, I don't know how to pick rice, but if you want some, some, some help picking rice, like I'd love to figure out what that's about, you know, to just, just by showing up and being present and trying to be a good neighbor they, you know, they, they were welcoming me into the tribe and to, to be valued, you know, as a person just for being there, just for being a person and a member of the community. That, that's powerful. And I think, you know, we too often fail to do that in America. We don't value our neighbors for, for being there. We value them for what they can do for us. And so to see how, how different, you know, how, how enlightened that approach was, that was really moving for me. One of my you know, absolute favorite memories of Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you are right. That is so powerful that it, ju- it just speaks to the fact of just being there, just showing up and being there day after day and interacting with your community. And as you said, it's like, well, I don't know how to you know, pick rice, but I'm, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to put myself out there. And just from doing that day in and day out, you know, four months in, they, you know, your neighbor looked at you. It's like, no, you're you're my neighbor, right? And it doesn't matter where you yep. came from before. You're my neighbor now. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that was a, uh, you know, one of the 
that was part of one of the biggest lessons for me, not to jump ahead, but uh, that was definitely part of, of one of the key learnings that I took away from Peace Corps, and I think is, you know, m- many of us do, is that, you know, there's no definition of a good volunteer, right? I mean, I, I, I could tell you other stories, and I, I happily will about, you know, project victories that were you know, incredible and moving, and they made a difference in people's lives, a difference in people's lives, and I'm incredibly proud of them. But, uh, you know, it's easy to fall into the trap of like, you know, you get back to the city and like, hey, you know, what, how's your project going? What are you doing? What's going on? Like, oh, you just sit on your ass all day. Um, you know, it's easy to be competitive about those types of things, but it's always important to to remember that, you know, you're, you're valued as a person and you're valued for your impact on the community. And that goes far beyond the number of projects that you, you know, you that you that you finish or start or the you know the dollars that you bring in you know, like some some people in my group we were pretty type a there were some people that were keeping track of you know how many dollars they raised for their community and there's nothing wrong with that that's okay but your impact goes so far beyond that and it was that was a really good wake up call that you could get no projects done and still be an incredibly successful volunteer in the eyes of the you know the only people whose judgment matters which is your community mhm and i Hopefully, uh, there are some listeners out there, uh, you know, volunteers that are about to start their service or somebody who's mid-service who's maybe thinking, you know, I haven't accomplished anything. Uh, definitely listen to Evan's words there. It's it's not the, the big glamour projects. It's, it's being there and connecting the conversations uh, with your community. And... Evan, you you had a lot of successes as a volunteer, and you're, you're continuing to have successes. Eventually, we're going to get to your your current uh, work with Peaceful Fruits. Uh, but as a volunteer, everybody has struggles uh, that they deal with. What were some of your struggles as a Peace Corps volunteer? So one one of the big things for me was was language. Um, you know, I I had never really learned the language going in. Um, you know, I took four years of French here and four years of Latin there. And, you know, I mean, you, you do the high school, you know, dance, whatever, but, um, but I never really learned a language. And so I was very, I was very nervous about that because, you know, when I, when I, when I look at my professional skill set, you know, like I'm a people person, damn it. You know, I'm a communicator, right? Like as silly as that is to say, but, uh, not to quote the office too much, but like, Hey, you know, office space. But, um, but, uh, but, you know, that, that's, that's always been a big part of, of what I pride myself on is my ability to, you know, convincingly, like speak convincingly and, and convey ideas and understand what people mean quickly and, and, you know, have a vigorous debate. And so I was incredibly nervous about my ability to do that in an entirely foreign language. And so I, you know, I worked really, really hard at it, um, which it was, it was, that was convenient because yeah that was a big challenge but that's a challenge that you can solve with elbow grease so that was sort of the you know kind of the easy kind of, of big scary problem and i think the, the good thing about peace corps is that there's a lot of those types of problems that you can solve just by you know elbow grease and, and gumption and, and getting out there and doing it but but there's also a lot of problems you can't and i think that that was definitely one of the biggest challenges was just knowing what the balance was between you know, being there as a professional um, who, you know, engaging with the community is so important, but you are also there, you know, with a, with a development mission and how to balance those two 
where you know some some volunteers end up you know spending a lot of money out of their own pocket. They end up doing a lot of things, you know, bringing people into their homes or or you know sponsoring people and um, in some in some way or another. And knowing how to balance that was was one of the biggest challenges for me. You know, what's the what's the appropriate line between having a big heart and and getting things done and you know and and, and helping people, but then also you know. I have to take care of myself and I'm here to do a job and, you know, I can't, I can't do that. If, if, if I focus in on, you know, one story, then I'm not going to finish the the river landing. that's going to impact 500 stories. Um, and so that, that was always very tough for me was to balance the, the individual heartbreaking stories that you do run into against the, the professional needs of, you know, you, you are also there to, to do things for the village as a whole, not just for, you know, the, the thing that is right in front of you that that is real, but it's a, it's a balancing act. Mm-hmm. And then now jumping ahead to the present, and um, we're gonna we're definitely gonna dive back into your your Peace Corps service since it was so important and impactful for what you're doing now. But you are the founder, owner, brainchild of Peaceful Fruits. Uh, and for those who are listening who don't know Peaceful Fruits, uh, they're, they're like really good, uh, like fruit roll-ups, <laughs> like the adult healthy version of, uh, of a fruit roll-up made with, you know, 100% fruit, all natural. And did you, did you get this idea? while in Peace Corps, or was this a sort of post-Peace Corps, what do I do now, uh, like, thing? Walk us through uh, the inception of Peaceful Fruits, and also uh, add anything else that you, you feel we need to know uh, about your company. Yeah, I and I appreciate that introduction. That's, that's pretty good. It's like, you, um, if you want to start doing demos for us, let me know, because you were spot on with zero coaching. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Peaceful Fruits is a you know, I would say we're a social good snack startup. We make healthy, delicious, rainforest-friendly fruit snacks. And you're exactly right. It's just a fruit roll-up made from actual fruit, you know? Mother Nature loving fruit, as I like to say. Um, and uh, it, it definitely was inspired by my Peace Corps service. And I came out of Peace Corps wanting to stay connected to the folks that, um, there in the Amazon. And in particular, I, I thought that working with acai and some of the other fruits that I was exposed to there in the Amazon was an incredible avenue to do that. But I'll actually step back for a moment because, you know, as you and I were talking about earlier, you know, a lot of folks, especially Peace Corps volunteers, come back wanting to do something. Um, and it's hard to get started. It really is. You know, it, it's, it's tough. And what, what helped me get over that hurdle, what drove me to start Peaceful Fruits was recognizing where, you know, what I wanted to do. So I, you know, when I came back, I, I got a job offer um, in, in Africa, you know, with one of those development style jobs that, that a lot of Peace Corps volunteers, you know, end up in, um, you know, international work, you're going to, you know, move from the, being a Peace Corps volunteer to being an expat um, or, you know, a, or a project-based consultant where you're expat sometimes. Um, and it was a picture perfect project, right? It was, it was solar energy. It was in West Africa, um, it was an opportunity to, to really grow with a, a business and had the potential to be, you know, the head of an entirely new division of an organization. If, you know, if I was competing against a couple of other people for that role, but that would be, you know, there were three people being hired and one of us was going to grow into being the head of that, 
you know, multi-million dollar division if, if we could build it into a multi-million dollar division. And I ended up saying no to that because it was a picture-perfect job, but it wasn't a picture-perfect location or timing or, or moment for me because, you know, it came up very suddenly. They actually found, they, heard, they, they, they sought me out after seeing an article um, about one of my Peace Corps projects um, in the news and, you know, on the internet somewhere. And they sought me out because we did, we did some pretty cool solar energy projects in Suriname. And, you know, they wanted me to move to, to Nigeria two weeks after I got back from Peace Corps. Um, and I just, I just wasn't ready. Uh, you know, I, I ended up talking to a, a great, an, another great Peace Corps volunteer who's incredibly successful on the entrepreneurship scale and one of my, you know, idols, Sam Goldman, um, of D-Light. And, you know, I, because they actually carry this organization, does a lot with his, with his products, and I called him, and, I, and, I, he was, and it was the same thing. I, you know, I was just like, hey, you're a Peace Corps volunteer. I'm a Peace Corps volunteer. I don't know you, but can you spare me a minute to like, help me think through this incredibly op- incredible opportunity? And he was like, yeah, of course. Let's have, let's have a call. Like, you know, who cares? I'm CEO of a startup that's like, desperately trying to make it at that time and you know, was, was well on their way even then. But still, you know, he gave me an hour of his time. And basically what it came down to is he said to me, like, Evan, this is an incredible opportunity. I know the organization. I know the project they're working on because we're working on it too. It's awesome. It's exciting. It's a great company. And if you don't want to go to Africa desperately right now, don't go. You know, like if you don't, if you don't have the hunger, the fire in your, in your belly to do this in Africa, don't go. Because as you, as you well know, you know, Africa, it, 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 it's its own beast like that. You know, anywhere you go in the developing world in particular, but especially in that part of the world, it's, it's, it, that is its own career job, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I just didn't have that hunger at that time. You know, I'd, I'd been back from Peace Corps for a, for a week, not even. Um, and what happened is that I said no to that opportunity. And then I realized that by saying no to the picture perfect job opportunity and, and by having spent the last two years of my life consulting, teaching, you know, mentoring, whatever you want to call it, entrepreneurs and small business people in, in Suriname, I had just officially, you know, taken away my last excuse, if you will, where I'd always known that I'd wanted to start something. And I kind of knew that I, you know, that, that I was thinking about it after Peace Corps. And then that job came up and, you know, what am I going to do? And I don't know, but by saying no to that, that opportunity, it was all right, Evan, if you really are think that you should be an entrepreneur if you if you if you want to say that with any honesty in your in, you know in, to yourself it's time to either do it or not and so that was what prompted um, me to get serious about about peaceful fruits and then uh to to really you know think about my connections think about my network you know both here and and back in the amazon what could i really do and that's how we, we went from you know the idea of staying connected and you know doing something with acai to developing a fruit snack because as you might imagine uh, from that story, like I didn't start peaceful fruits cause I love fruit snacks. Like it's not <laughs> my grandma's secret recipe for a fruit. You know, it's like, it's none of those things. Right. But uh, I realized that, okay, I need a value added product that, you know, I need the brand because a brand is, you know, the professional word for a story, right? 
um, you know, I, I need to develop a brand that will let me tell the story of the Amazon, that will let me tell the story of, you know, economic empowerment and the Peace Corps approach. I need a, you know, a vehicle that will do that, that has some margin to it, right? Like originally I wanted to import acai and sell it to smoothie companies, you know? Um, cause I was like, I'm an operations guy, you know, like that sounds pretty relatively easy. You know, you make, you make one sale and like it's a big sale, you're great. But, but, you know, big sales also take big capital to land those sales. Right. And we just, I just didn't have any capital. I didn't have any, you know, network of relationships. Like I just didn't have that in me, in my network. But what I did have was, you know, small kitchens and small stores and, you know, the local health food scene and all those things to say like, Hey, well, I can make one of these snacks and sell it to you for, you know, a dollar or two. And I may not, you know, make much money off of it, but at least I make $2 back today. And then I can use that to make two more snacks tomorrow and then four more snacks the next day and then eight the day after that and so on and so forth. And so that's how peaceful fruits, best fruit snack in the world was born was, you know, out of, out of that, that impetus of saying like, it's on me. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't delay it anymore if I want to say that being an entrepreneur is important to me. And that's something I've been saying all my life. And then I want to do something that'll be connected to the people. And then here is, uh, you know, an opportunity that you can see in the marketplace that has a, you know, a, tr- a value add that, that has a, tr- a clear ROI that get, creates a platform to tell the story that's important to me to tell. And then that's how I ended up as uh, the world's foremost expert on acai fruit snacks, which is, uh, it's, it's a crowded field, as you might imagine, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine probably very, very, very competitive. Uh, you guys hold conferences or something? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Th- thousands, thousands. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm cutthroat, cutthroat industry of, of you know, acai fruit snack uh, <laughs> experts. But no, I mean, and that, but that was exactly it. Was just that, that was the the interesting part was to sit down and think about it dispassionately. I think was actually very helpful. Where if I'd come in, you know desperately having a, a, a I, I didn't have an entrepreneurial dream specifically, right? Like I didn't have a, an invention or a secret recipe or something come to me in a dream or, or from my, my grandpa or something like that. I came up with Piso Fruits the same way that business school students or business undergrads that like get an entrepreneurial, do an entrepreneurial elective. And they're like, all right, you have two weeks to come up with your business plan for uh, what you're going to do. Like, that's how I built Piso Fruits was I just sat down, you know, with a whiteboard and was like, who do I know? What do I know? What's going on? What, what do I think I can be good at? How much that fits the resources I have? None. And, and my goals, which are stay connected to the Amazon, tell a story about, you know, the, the, the possibilities of economic empowerment and create something, you know, healthy and authentic that, that I can sell with a straight face, right? Um, and, and that's, that's really what Peaceful Fruits was born out of. And also credit where credit is due specifically, you know, my dad was just like, Hey, this acai stuff looks a lot like blueberry. Can I just take some and, and, uh, bake it in the oven? Cause I, I know how to make blueberry fruit snacks. They taste really good. I wonder if acai fruit snacks would taste good. And I was like, sure, dad, that's my acai. And he did it and it tasted terrible. But I was like, hmm, I bet if we add some stuff to this, like mix it with some other things, it'll taste really good. And here we are, four years later. Yeah, and you you said before that you just uh, 
the company just turned four years old. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. Um, we just turned four. We're still very tiny. We didn't really start selling until the last two years. Like the first two years were very um, slow growth. Uh, you know, as I was kind of figuring out a lot of this stuff with the business model and the uh, um, the recipes and just how to be in the food industry. Um, so there's a lot of that stuff that that took a while. But but yeah, we we. We're, we're still alive, still kicking, and, and we're growing. So that's all we can ask for. And are you sourcing the acai uh, directly from Suriname, or is it from multiple uh, countries uh, in the region? Where, where do you exactly source hey. uh, the fruits from? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a great question. At this point, um, we, work, we started with acai. Um, at this point, we work with fruits beyond it. And uh, we have eight flavors and not all of our flavors have acai in them. So all of our flavors have some type of rainforest connection. But at this point, it, it is, you know, beyond just the Amazon. We have, you know, mangoes coming from Central America, um, you know, p- pineapples as well, uh, like the acai. Um, the acai itself actually does come from Brazil, um, which is where almost all acai comes from. And, and that was also one of the early challenges, you know, kind of similar to what we were talking about with Peace Corps. One of the early challenges with Peaceful Fruits was you know to balance uh desire and reality you know you want to you want to help the the individual that you know but you also want to you know do something bigger and and something that i realized pretty early on like i i spent the first six months trying to import acai from Suriname, uh and it didn't work (laughs) it just didn't it just didn't work um you know the 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 quality control wasn't there the logistics weren't there the know-how wasn't there and if I'd had, you know, $10 million and the ability to fly back and forth and to hire people on the ground, it, it, it probably would have worked, but I, I didn't have that. Um, and so that was one of the, the tough decisions that I had to make early on was, you know, we want to do this and we want to build, and we want to build this bridge from the Amazon to the people in America, you know, to allow consumers to support the Amazon with their dollars and, you know, to make this decision we can't do it and try to buy it from my friend Edwa who has a farm in Suriname. We just can't, we just can't, it just, it, you can't make that business work at this stage, you know? And part of that was because we also just didn't have the scale to, to do it. Right. Like I was, I was trying to buy 10 pounds of acai at a time at that point. And so you know, I just wasn't big enough. And so that's where we made, I made the, the, the call good, you know, good or ill to say, let's stay connected. Let's continue on this. Let's find a partner in Brazil that fits all of these same criteria. And let's continue talking to partners in Suriname to, to be, to try to build this capacity, but we can only, we can only do so much at once and we'll be able to do a lot more in Suriname once we have enough demand to actually, you know, create some change. So instead we, we found a like-minded organization in, in Brazil that had already been doing this kind of thing, you know, that had already been partnered with farmers, was already, you know, organic certified and, and sustainable and everything else. They'd already set up these relationships and uh, we started partnering with them so that, that we didn't have to invent all the wheels on the bus at the same time. And we do have ongoing conversations in Suriname, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's important to be honest and say nothing is coming from my tribe. Um, and all, you know, aside 
I, I don't, I, I kind of hope nothing ever does actually from my tribe specifically, just because that would mean there's a road there and a refrigerated trucking company. And I'm not sure if that's what they want. So, um, but yeah, but it, it is, it's, it's from, from Brazil and then, uh, from, from throughout the rainforest now as we've been growing. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you, uh, for sharing the, those details and, you know, not trying to hide it like, oh yeah, we're giving back to, uh, the community that I serve. Like, well, more so than the community, it's, you know, the, the Amazon at large. And it's, you know, so insightful that, you know, you, you realize that, you know, you weren't going to maybe have that impact directly on your community. And if you, if you tried to do it, you probably would have ended up having no impact at all because uh, it just wouldn't have worked yep. logistically. And you're, you're now able to do so much more uh, on a larger scale uh, from, from realizing that. And I think a lot of times we, we get bogged down with this uh, trying to go for the perfect idea. That's just not going to uh, be practical. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it, and I think that applies to a lot of Peace Corps projects, and it, and it definitely applies to to Peaceful Fruits, where I, I remind myself of that every day. You know, it's one of my favorite sayings. Maybe this says something bad about me. I don't know, but one of my favorite sayings is, "You don't have to outrun the bear. You have to outrun your friend." Right? Like we've all heard it, you know. Um, and to me, that means you don't have to be perfect. You know, you don't have to put the burden of perfection on yourself. You just have to be a little bit better than yesterday. You have to be a little bit better than the status quo, you know, whether that means, you know, a project in Peace Corps where like, well, at least I helped this one kid learn some math, you know, or, hey, at least, you know, we, we, we have this done. Or for us, yeah, it was like, hey, okay, it's not coming from, from Edwa, but it's coming from, you know, Edwa's cousin three times removed, who's in a very similar situation. He just happens to be across the border. You know, this is still, this is still important. And yeah, and by doing it, exactly like you said we can, we can help 10,000 you know 10 we can harvest 10,000 acai berries over there whereas over here we'd harvest 100 run out of money and I'd have to get a you know I'd have to give up peso roots and go work at McDonald's or something so you know way more fun and way more possibilities and just way more runway right i mean from the entrepreneurial standpoint to acknowledge the realities and say we want to make sure we're doing it right but we can only do it so right it can't be perfect Mm-hmm. And not only are you sourcing uh, these organic fruits from from the Amazon, uh, one other thing that I found so interesting and so special about your company are the the workers, the people that are actually making these fruit snacks. Uh, you work with, uh, I guess, a, a, a secondary organization that works with uh, adults with disabilities uh, and, and employing them to giving them full-wage jobs. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how these snacks are actually made? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great part of our story. Um, and there's really, there's really two sides of that story, so I'll try to, to be unlike myself and try to be a little bit succinct so I can give you both sides of it. Um, so just very briefly, you know, we, we make fruit snacks out of real fruit with nothing but heat, air, time, and love. And so that means that we take the fruits in, just whole organic fruit, we blend them together, and then we slow dry them overnight at low temperatures in essentially a, a slightly fancy convection oven, right? So it's just heat and a fan. Um, and, you know, it comes out the next morning and we check every single unit by hand and then we, you know, we bag it, seal it, put it in a box and, and send it out to you. Um, and 
almost all of those steps are done by hand. All of those steps are done by hand and almost all of them are done by folks with disabilities, as, as you mentioned. Um, and what that, what that means to me is, is it goes back to that same you know, idea of economic empowerment where I, I knew that as Peaceful Fruits was starting to grow about two years ago, we were looking for a pilot production facility. Um, you know, up to that point, I'd been producing, you know, a little bit here and there for, for tests and for events and for that kind of thing. Um, you know, literally at two o'clock in the morning or whatever in the back of a, of a, of a local restaurant. Um, but you know, if we were going to do anything, I knew we needed more than that. And so I was looking for an organization for a, for a partner that would fit our mission of economic empowerment. And to be perfectly honest, this is kind of the, the other, the, that other side of the story is I, I was not looking to work with people with disabilities. You know, I, I didn't find them. They a hundred percent found me. Um, because, you know, I, I knew that I wanted something that was on mission, that was on brand, that was, you know, that supported the story. You know, you can't make a save the rainforest, uh, you know, fancy fruit snack in a sweatshop in China. Like it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't fit, man. Like people are going <laughs> to, just like you said, like millennials are going to Google you and call BS on that real fast. Um, and so I knew we needed something that, that fits and I, and I didn't know what it should be. And, and the organization that we partner with Blick Center happened just 100% organically. Um, I was at an event, literally this is week one of Peaceful Fruits, literally week one, like May you know, 18th, 2014. I'd made a batch in my mom's kitchen. So this is not even street legal fruit snacks. This is like <laughs> true, you know, true early prototypes. And I walked down the street to the farmer's market, CSA little thing, you know, farmer stand, whatever, a couple hundred yards from my parents' house because they live in the boonies. And, uh, and I was living with them, obviously, you know, return Peace Corps volunteer, um, entrepreneur as well. And, uh, I'm just handing out fruit snacks out of a, out of a Ziploc baggie more or less. And one of the people who stopped by was a young man named AJ and his mom who had been a Spanish teacher. She'd traveled throughout South and Central America. And, uh, you know, so she really connected the Amazon side and AJ, who has severe Down syndrome, he's about my age, uh, he just really loved the snacks. Um, and so, you know, Peg, his mom, gave me her card and, you know, or, or whatever. Or, I don't think we have cards. I think she just scribbled it on a piece of paper and handed it to me. And she said, hey, like, when you get past the Ziploc baggie stage, AJ is a champion stickerer. You know, you get, you get this in a package that needs some stickers stuck. Give us a call because, you know, we'd love to help you out. And I mean, it, it was at least six months. It might've been 12. I mean, it, it might've been more than a year before I was ready to call her because we were so small, but I mean, eventually we got our first, you know, real store order as we were starting to ramp up a little bit, still producing it myself. Um, and so I called up Peg and AJ and they helped me package that first batch of snacks. And then, you know, the next one we did together and the next one we did together and the next one he did by himself. And he had the next one by himself and we were, you know, getting a little bit of traction in a couple of stores. And, you know, Peg said, well, hey, Evan, it just so happens that I'm on the board of this nonprofit called Blick Center and there's 15 more AJs that would love a job. What do you think? And I was like, sign me up, sign me up because, you know, he's doing a great job. He does it at, you know, it, it, it's a good price, you know, paying full wage was, they were, you know, the productivity was there. Um, and 
it was just that simple, right? I mean, like you do a good job at a good price and I need the work done. Done. And so over time that evolved from a you know, a handful of, of folks like AJ helping us package. And then when we grew, they were helping us uh, you know, ship with shipping. And then they introduced us to another organization that had a commercial kitchen that was just launching and they were our pilot production facility. So then we, then they started to do, you know, 99% of the, the steps of the production process. Um, and at every step of the way, it just made sense. They did a good job at a good price on a, in a, in a mission, you know, as part, that fit perfectly with our mission of economic empowerment. And just from the, from the personal side, like you can't walk into the room. Like I dare anybody to walk into our production facility. Like, especially like when everybody's packaging snacks, like if you walk in there and you see the, like how excited the folks are to, to, to do their job and to help peaceful fruits and to like help us grow. I mean, you can't help, but get pumped up. I mean, it's just the most motivating, most moving thing you can imagine. Like I, I walk into that room and like, I blush because I get treated like a rock star. Cause they're like, Evan's here. You, you bring us more snacks. Like we're packaging all these snacks so fast. You know, we're going to ship them out for you. And you're just like, guys, I'm going to sell so many snacks for you. Like I'm going to, like, <laughs> I'm going to work so hard to make this for you guys because I mean, it's just the most motivating thing you can possibly imagine. And so I, 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 I said it off to just say it again. Like I didn't find them. They found me and it's the luckiest thing that happened to peaceful fruits. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited, like hearing you talk about it. I'm feeling like pumped and energized and wishing that I had, uh, some, some peaceful fruit snacks to, to snack on right now myself for, for those, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. For, for those who are, who are listening, who maybe want to support you and, and try out one of these, uh, you know, adult fruit roll-ups that puts a, a fruit roll-up to shame, uh, where, where can they find peaceful fruits? Uh, is it, they found nationwide do they need to go to your website let us know where we can try uh some of these amazing snacks that you guys are creating yeah thank you um so peaceful fruits is not nationwide yet in stores you know we're still tiny um uh and i, I should tell a little bit of that story because that's also kind of a fun story but um so right now the best way to, to try us is absolutely to go on the website um peacefulfruits.com and place an order and you know if you do it'll be you know you'll 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 actually get a little card in every order that uh tells you a little bit of the story of one of the people who you know helped make the product whom and you know for example you might you'll say like this order was packed by Lindsay, and you'll tell and you'll learn a little bit about about Lindsay's story um who's one of our our you know longtime employees now um and you know she packages a lot of those snacks that go out um, and so that's a great way to, to connect and to, and to try the product and to, and to learn a little bit more about the story. And of course we are on, uh, Amazon as well. Gotta love the Amazon. So uh, mm -hmm. if you're a prime member, do it to it. Uh, we're actually in the middle of a really cool partnership with eBay. So all, if you're an eBay kind of person, check us out on eBay. Um, I, I'm, I'm not cool going to lie that, that the eBay thing sounds a little sketch buying food off eBay, but it is a little bit better than your farmer's market Ziploc bag. Dude, let me, let me, this is you know, not exactly on topic, but it's just too funny of a story not to tell. Um, we get a lot of, I have a lot of funny stories. Uh, being in a startup is just crazy all the time. But so, yeah, it turns out that eBay, um, super nice company, incredibly mission and purpose driven. Like who knew, but eBay is actually a 
badass organization. So, and they, they, they don't like Amazon, but you know, eBay is what, like one fifth the size of Amazon and they've raised and they've like raised and donated something like five times the amount for charity that Amazon has, you know, like they, they, they all, they both have their, you know, non nonprofit charity avenues and ways to support causes. Mm-hmm. And despite eBay being like literally one fifth the size, they've done five times as much because it's such an incredible, importantly, incredibly important part of what they value. So I actually, I, it's, but it's, but what's funny is that, eBay actually just announced a major partnership with Akron, which is our hometown here in Ohio. Um, and so Peaceful Fruits is one of the featured partners, one of the featured retailers with eBay with this new initiative where, you know, eBay's tired of being five times smaller than Amazon. And so they're really trying to, to shift their brand away from like, you know, a, a weird auction site um, to buy like obscure car parts or something. Um, you know, they want to be part, be part of this, the, the bright and shiny side of it. And, uh, so they're making a big play for it and cool enough. Peaceful fruits is part of it. We're, we're one of the, the flagships of helping change that perception. And so it's still tiny. It's still just beginning because, you know, people don't think of it a place as a place to go buy food and especially, you know, brand new, shiny, save the Amazon fruit snacks. But eBay is working really hard to change that perception. And we're really we're actually really excited to be be part of that. So it's funny that you say that. Let's check back in two years and see if that and see if they did a good job. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's cool because yeah, that's what I think of. I think of eBay as like buying car parts and weird, obscure, you know, antiques. Right. So, so it's interesting, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that I mean that's really interesting. So I'm going to be looking out for that and seeing uh, what I can buy on eBay now. Hmm. Yeah, they're really, I mean, they're going after a lot of the Etsy style, Amazon style stuff, which is a cool, cool business play on their part. And it was just, it was actually really moving. Um, I was actually invited to be part of their executive leadership conference about two weeks ago, um, along with several other vendors from, from Akron. I don't want to oversell my own stuff. I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't just me, but, um, but I mean, literally they spent an entire day of their leadership week with the thousand top executives, top leaders at eBay. They spent the first day of that week and it was only really two and a half days. So they spent almost 50% of the time talking about purpose, mission, and community impact. That's how important it is to eBay. So it's, it's a cool organization. And I, I, I have to say, I, I I drank, if you can't tell, I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. I was really impressed with the company. And so I'm excited to be, to be partnering with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, now we know where we can find Peaceful Fruit Snacks. Uh, before we, we close out uh, this interview, is there anything that you would like to tell the audience of the My Peace Corps story? Uh, the audience is a group of uh, interested volunteers, current volunteers, returned Peace Corps volunteers, and just you know friends and family uh, of those who have served. So that, that is your audience. Uh, so what do you want to tell them? I think that one of the, the biggest lessons from, from Peace Corps and also from Peaceful Fruits has been that there are so many people who want to help, um, that want to do something, that want that you know want to make a difference. And that, that's, that's wonderful. Um, but we also know that there are so many people that, that don't, that never, for whatever reason, never take that leap or never get that opportunity you know, we, we all have met a dozen people that said, oh, yeah, I was thinking about doing Peace Corps or, oh, yeah, I was thinking about starting something. Um, 
and that's totally okay. I'm not, I'm not dumping on those people at all because you know, you just may not have the right, it's just not the right time or it's not the right chance or whatever. Um, but what I have come to value my time in Peace Corps and my time, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's the people that know how to take those little moments of wanting to make a difference and they figure out how to, to let that person do all they can and, and, you know, and, and a step more, right. If figuring out how to take someone who walks up to you excited, you know, after at a farmer's market and say like, this is such a great project product. Like, just tell me how I can help, you know, like, like, like Peg and AJ did for me. Uh, it could have been useless. Right. But they made it easy for me to take advantage of because they gave me something very specific. They said like, here's the phone number. I'm serious. Call us. No, I'm really, really serious. Call us. We'll help you sticker bags, you know, and, and by them making it specific, it gave me, you know, I, I knew exactly how to take advantage of that and to make them part of our story later. But there are people out there and especially there are a lot of Peace Corps volunteers that get this skill of, you know, figuring out how to take that excitement of someone who isn't as specific and, you know, ready to help as, as Peg and AJ were and say like, well, here's what you can do. And I can make it super easy and bite-sized and exciting and easy for you to get started. And, and that's, those are some of the, those are the most valuable people in the world is somebody that can help others take that, you know, little bit of, of good intention and turn it into something concrete, whatever that means. So that was one of the number one things that I learned to value and, you know, a muscle that I, I have gone out of my way to strengthen after, you know, realizing that it existed in Peace Corps. And so I, I hope that everybody out there looks for those opportunities in their day and finds a way to, to flex that muscle and, and bring all those people that, that get excited and get interested and don't know what to do with it. Get those people to take the first step because that's how we can make a real big impact in the world to, to spread you know, the message of Peace Corps and the message of Peaceful Fruits and just that whole idea of taking our communities with us as we move forward. Evan, I don't know if you could have ended your interview on a, a better, more inspirational note. Thank you for taking the time of sharing your Peace Corps story, the story of Peaceful Fruits. I have absolutely enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much. I've, I've enjoyed it as well. It's good to, good to, it's a good reminder for me too, because you know I, I spend day in, day out kind of in the trenches of the startup. And this was actually a really good conversation for me as well just because it's good to, to think back through some of these you know, initial things that are the roots of us, but it's good to be reminded of them because this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it. An other unique, dynamic, and amazing Peace Corps story. If you want to check out those amazing fruit snacks, head on over to PeacefulFruits.com and don't forget to use that special promo code PEACEFULPODCAST, all one word, PEACEFULPODCAST, for 10% off. Now, this offer is only good for a month from when this podcast episode goes live, so do not delay. You guys will absolutely enjoy them. I've been snacking on them for the past few days and have been uh, having to ration them out and uh, might have to have my girlfriend hide them from me. So if you want to try them, head on over to PeacefulFruits.com. Use the promo code PeacefulPodcast 
and you will not be disappointed. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?